Well, this weekend we are celebrating Labor Day weekend. You know, usually Labor Day weekend for us is a, a marker that summer is coming to a close. School has resumed and it's football time in Tennessee. <laughs> Most of us, uh, Labor Day is not a day of labor. Most of us have a day off and we're glad about that. So we take advantage of the weekend. Uh, probably some of our family and friends who are part of our congregation, such as Jacqueline. She has taken advantage of Labor Day and she's traveling, visiting with family. So picnics, family, just all kinds of fun on Labor Day weekend. It is truly a great weekend indeed. You know, Labor Day began in our nation back in the, during the time when the Industrial Revolution was, had swung into full gear. And it was during that period of time that many of the folks who worked in factories worked so in very strenuous, dangerous situations. A lot of folks, particularly people who were poor, often would work seven days a week, 12-hour shifts. Well, it was in the late 1880s that uh, uh, there were some who began to say, let's recognize those who do the labor. And so they set aside a day not only to be off, but to celebrate the prosperity and benefits that the working class brought to our nation. About a decade later, uh, the Congress passed a law setting up Labor Day, and then it was signed in, into law by our then president, President Cleveland. Well, for the last, uh, in that period of time when Labor Day came into existence, probably their rally cry could have easily have been a verse you just heard from out of Psalm 127. The psalmist wrote, It is vain to rise up early and go late to rest, eating bread of anxious toil. He was basically saying, if you work all the time, it's not good for you. Well, over the past four weeks, we have been um, engaged in a sermon series on family matters. We have seen that family is a gift from God. It's God's idea. We've also found that we are called as people, as those who are part of a family, as well as a part of a church, we are called to invest heavily into our families. So this is a very important aspect of things. And so today, I want us to think for a few moments about the connection between work and family, work and family. Now, <clears throat> I loved, Jill, you reading this psalm because it truly is a beautiful poem. Didn't you catch a sense of that? It has these vivid pictures that are part of it that people of the psalmist's day and even people of our day can understand. He spoke of building. He spoke of guarding a city. He spoke of working long hours. He spoke of arrows in a quiver. And in the thoughts of the psalmist are these themes that are dominating in this psalm. Construction, security, work, and family. Now, if you just listen to that psalm maybe one time, and if you maybe just read through it very quickly, you may have a sense that what the psalmist does is just gather these scattered thoughts and put them together to paint sort of a, a collage of, of, of pictures. Many people have thought that that basically what Psalm 127 is is a collection of just various pictures and there's very little connection between them except all of them have something to do with God. 
But I think if we read a little bit closer into this psalm, we get a sense that there is unity in this psalm and it is tied together. You see, the psalm begins with this picture. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, its laborers labor in vain. Now, the idea of construction here is that of initially building a structure like your house or like this church building. But this idea, though, too, in the Old Testament of constructing a house is also a portrait or picture of what it is to construct a family, to build a house. And we find references to that in the Old Testament of people building the house, the house of their family. And then the psalm ends with this idea of, um, of happy is the person who has a family. And so it seems that it begins with this idea of family, the building of a family, the building of a house, and a happy family. I believe that this psalm gives us the clue and cue to how to build that happy home. The psalm ends with these words. It says, happy is the one who has his quiver full, full of children. Uh, he will not be ashamed when he speaks at the gates of his enemy. Now, when you first hear those words, probably most of us think a quiver full of arrows, children, all right? Uh, that must be a whole lot, right? Okay. Happy is the person who has a lot of children, right? Well, that may be the case, and it may not be the case. Uh, some people in families are very happy even though they have just one child. And others are happy even though they have 15 children. And then there are some people who have 15 children and they ain't very happy. And so maybe the happiness isn't just connected with the number of children that one has, but maybe the latter part of this, it says, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks in the gate. Now the idea of gate here is something significant. In ancient Israel... Most cities were wall cities, and there were gates where people could come and go. And, of course, the gate was, in part, for that purpose, for people to enter and for people to exit. It was there for, to keep certain people out as well. But in most city gates, they were significant in another way. It was the place where the elders and influencers of that city would congregate. In doing so they would spread the news of what was happening. Now, sometimes we call that gossip, don't we? But they also would be there serving as judges over situations and problems that are, would arise between people. It was a very important place. Now, I've tried to think what would be our nearest parallel, and what I came up with was this. Probably our nearest parallel is either for men, the barber shop, or for women, the beauty shop, all right? You know, if it wasn't for my barber and me going every once in a while, I wouldn't know what's going on in Nudawa. They keep me informed about everything. Ray and Steve keep me informed about everything that's happening in Hooterville. I mean, they're there for us. They, they let me know what's taking place and the people who gather there. So think about that image for a moment. 
So you're sitting in a chair, man, woman, and the person working on your head, <laughs> they have to do a lot on mine, by the way. <laughs> working on your head, ask, how is your family doing? Now, in all likelihood, the person who cuts your hair is someone that's done it for a while and they know something about you and you know something about them, right? I mean, that's typically the situation. There's a relationship there. How's your family doing? Now, if something's going on in your family, if one of your children is having problems, maybe legal problems, maybe you've got an adult child and that adult child is... Uh, facing trouble in the marriage. Maybe their marriage has fallen apart. Maybe you're, you have a child that's failing in school. Maybe you've got a teenager who's been taking drugs. It's not a happy moment, is it? It's an embarrassment. But if all is well, happy is the person sitting in that chair. A quiverful is not just about the number of children that may be in one's home, but it's about the health and condition of that family. Happy in the gate is the person whose family is full of vitality and health. Happy is the mother, the father, who's sitting in that chair and can say, all is well. But how do we get to that place? How do we get that place of happiness in the family? How do we get to that place where we can rejoice when we're asked, how is your family? How does it happen? I believe that this psalm gives us two very important clues as to how that can happen. A few years ago, I was a part of a Christian-oriented conference, uh, and one of the keynote speakers in that conference was the, the then CEO of General Electric. And during his presentation, he made a statement that kind of bounced around on both corners of my skull and has continued to bounce around inside there. Now, it's not because there's nothing in between that it was bouncing, but I was thinking about what he said. He said this, he said, I work 80 hours every week. I thought, 80 hours every week? I thought, gosh, this poor guy. He doesn't have anything left for himself, and he doesn't have anything left for his family. You know, it's interesting that we live in a culture where we oftentimes celebrate where executives work, 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 put all themselves, all their energy, all their resources into their work to ensure that their company is successful. In the context of that man, that particular CEO making that statement in that conference, I sensed that there were many who thought, 
yeah, he's really successful and that's the way you should do it. There are vocations where it just seems that that vocation demands everything from the laborer. These can be very white-collar types of jobs. And then there's some who, who don't work just one job but work multiple jobs and that's all they're doing is work, work, work. And the psalmist knew the vanity of that. He said, it is vain to rise up early and to stay up late toiling. You know, it's fascinating that that particular CEO, when he oversaw GE, the period of time, his tenure there, that it was during that period of time that GE had a steady, continued decline. Even though he worked as long and hard as he worked, he was not able to turn that company around. One of the keys, one of the keys to having a good, healthy family, not being ashamed in the gate and experience happiness in the home has to do with the amount of time we work. None of us can work all the time and not be available to our children and expect to have a healthy home. None of us in our marriages can stay gone all the time, work all the time, and expect to have a healthy marriage. I've never heard a retiree say, man, I wish I'd have spent more time at work and away from my family. You just don't hear it. You know, no amount of money or prestige is worth sacrificing our family on that altar. Now, I have to admit, this is a tough matter for many of us, In looking back in my own life and my career as a pastor, I have often failed. You see, for the pastor, the work is truly never done. There's always someone that I need to contact. There's always some situation that needs to be addressed. There's always more that needs to be poured into a sermon that I'm getting ready to preach. There's always a meeting to be attended. There's always a call from the conference wanting this or wanting that. The work is never done. And I must confess that through the years, I've oftentimes sacrificed my family for the work. And it's not easy. This isn't easy. The balance of time and family is hard to figure out. You see, work, like family, work is a gift from God. Work is not evil. Work is not wrong. Labor is good when it's in its right place. But balancing these two are critical. Work, most of us work so we can provide the resources our families need. But to balance the two is a challenge. We need God's wisdom. And if you find yourself struggling between how much you work and how much time you're able to give to your family, pray. Pray that God grant you wisdom to figure out how to do it in a more healthy way. 
And I believe God can give us that wisdom. And when we get that wisdom, then we need to pray for courage that God will help us carry it out. The second key to having happiness in our family involves knowing and living into a fundamental understanding that is intended to be a cornerstone of our homes. We see this imagery in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house... It says, sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, the fruit of the womb, is a reward. This idea, children are a heritage, a reward from God, reminds us of what's been emphasized in this sermon series before, that family is a gift from God. Family is God's idea given by God. Here the psalmist adds another dimension to this. It says that children are a reward. A reward is given because of some kind of action. And in this setting, it's God who gives that reward. In the building of a house, God needs to be involved with the builders. If we attempt to build our families alone, independent of God, the chances of success are extremely low. God needs to be and must be involved. Perhaps you've heard the joke told of uh, the preacher who was driving along a country road and he passed by the most beautiful farm that he'd ever seen. And he saw an old farmer there on his tractor plowing in the field and so the, uh, the, the pastor pulled his car off to the side of the road, crossed over the ditch and went over into the field where the man was and the man stopped on the tractor and the preacher said, he said, uh, he said man, he said, uh, God has certainly blessed you with a beautiful, magnificent farm. Pausing for a moment, the farmer responded, Yes, and we're so grateful. But you should have seen this place before when God had it alone. <laughs> there is this partnership in our families with us and God. If we think we can do it alone, we're foolish. Without God's involvement, our labors are vain. God wants to partner with all of us in building healthy and strong marriages and building healthy and strong homes. God wants to help us with all that's needed and the strength that's necessary. God wants to bestow on us a blessing. So keeping our work life and our family life in balance and understanding that our family and building a family is a partnership with God, these are keys to great happiness and healthy families. Amen.